Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Using and Implementing Online Safety Training, sponsored by a Vector Solutions brand, Convergence Training. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health magazine. I'll be your moderator today. Thank you so much for joining us. From our team here at the National Safety Council, which is currently working remotely, we hope that you and your friends and family are all safe and healthy amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I'd like to go over just a few housekeeping items. The views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. We'll be conducting a question and answer session with our speaker after today's presentation. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click that button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time at all during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the presentation to end. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but we might not be able to get to every question. The good news is any questions we don't get to, those will all be forwarded along to our speaker today. If you happen to have any technical issues during this webcast, please refer to our list of helpful tips on the right-hand portion of your screen. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located at the bottom of your screen. And if you check out the Resources widget over there on your screen, you'll notice that our sponsor has made the slides from today's presentation available, along with several other valuable resources. So please feel free to check those out as well. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, you can visit us online. We're at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's introduce our speaker. Our presenter today is Jeff Dalto who serves as Senior Learning and Customer Advocacy Manager at Vector Solutions brand, Convergence Training. Jeff is a Workplace Learning and Performance Improvement Specialist who has 20 years of experience in occupational safety and health. Jeff is a member of the ASSP Z490 Committee, a Certified Instructional Designer, an OSHA General Industry Safety Specialist, and an OSHA Authorized Trainer. Jeff frequently writes articles about issues related to safety and learning, and Jeff was also a nominee for the 2020 Safety Professional Year of the Year Award by the ASSP Training and Communications Practice Specialty. Again, we thank you all for tuning in today, and Jeff, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, great. Barry, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. Um, Hi to everybody out there. Thanks to the NSC and thanks to everybody who's listening in. We're going to be talking a little bit about some issues related to safety training and in particular online safety training. I think, you know, Barry kind of explained well enough who I am. If, if you're curious why you should be listening to this guy talk about online safety training, I'd call out the, the, the parts about the fact that I was just a member of the Z490 committee who, that wrote the national standard for online environmental health and safety training, and I'm also now a member of the Z490 committee rewriting the existing standard on all EHS training. I'm going to talk about those a little bit in just a moment. So 
Um, the other thing I'd like to call out on this screen, that's my email right there uh, that you're all looking at, jeff.dalto at vectorsolutions.com. If, if you have questions that I, I don't answer today, I, I encourage you to take that down and email me. I, I appreciate those. I enjoy those. And, and I also welcome, welcome you to search me out on LinkedIn and connect there and ask questions as well. Uh, I work for a company called Vector Solutions and for a brand within Vector called Convergence Training. You know, we're a company that makes the, uh, online training, including online safety training, uh, learning management systems, and some of the kind of things we're talking about today. So if you want to learn more about Vector Solutions, go check them out at their website. A uh, quick overview of what we're going to talk about today. I, I do want to ground this discussion and kind of introduce you all to the two national standards from ANSI and ASSP related to environmental health and safety training. So that'll be Z490.1 and Z490.2. And then we'll give you some tips for uh, delivering effective safety training in, in any delivery method. Uh, and, and along those lines, we'll talk about uh, creating effective blended learning solutions. I'll introduce you to some key terms and concepts regarding online safety training. Um, just so you can kind of talk the talk and understand the jargon and, and all that. I'll give you some tips for evaluating online safety training courses, something called a learning management system and providers, and then I'll try to steer you towards some helpful resources as well. Um, but before we start, I'd like to take a poll. We're going to be doing this twice today. This is our first opportunity. And, uh, you know, it's no surprise, no secret that COVID-19 uh, exists and we're having a pandemic and that's changed a lot of things. And I'd like to see um, if your company is thinking about using more online safety training as a result of COVID-19. So go ahead and, and answer yes or no. I'll hang tight here for 20 or 30 seconds and let the answers pour in and then we'll see what the results are. Okay, I'll uh, close this in just a little bit. So kind of last call. Is your organization currently planning on using more online safety training as a result of COVID-19? Or perhaps have you already started making that change? And I think I, think I waited long enough. So let's see what the results are here. Oh, wow, 91%. I, I, so obviously I anticipated that uh, the answer was going to shift towards yes. I'm not sure that I thought it was going to be 91%. That's pretty impressive. All right, well, hopefully you guys will find this um, presentation useful. Again, you know, it's a big thing using more online safety training. So uh, feel free to ping me with emails or follow me on LinkedIn if you need additional help. I do want to call out, we're going to talk about quite a bit uh, about online safety training, and I'm going to give you some helpful resources. One thing I'm not going to talk about as much that's related to, the, to this issue, however, is uh, doing um, kind, of, kind of online safety training, if you will, through a webinar-based tool uh, live. So you're, you're a virtual classroom instructor. Um, know that that's part of all of this, and we have additional resources to help you gear up on that. So um, feel free to write to me about that as well, and we'll talk about that a little bit but not, as, not exclusively or primarily in this talk. All right, so I told you I wanted to ground you in these two 
EHS training standards from ANSI and the ASSP. Um, and so the first one is called Z490.1. And again, this applies to all EHS training, whether it's online or not. And, and this was uh, most re recently written in 2016. I did not help write that, um, but I'm on the committee to help rewrite it right now. Oh, excuse me. And this is what it looks like. You know, it's $100. Feel free to go go you know, buy it. I recommend buying it. It's a useful resource. Um, Barry mentioned at the intro that in addition to creating the uh, PowerPoint and making that available for you here, we have four additional resources available to you. And one of those is a guide called the Safety Training Guide. I wrote that, and it's a 60-page guide that kind of summarizes this national standard and, and expands on it. So um, while I encourage you to buy this standard, if you download that effective safety training guide, you're going to get something that kind of parallels it and supplements it. Um, the structure is shown here of the Z490.1 standard. Uh, the, the real meat of it is sections three through seven. You see managing your program, developing courses, delivering, evaluating. Then they talk about documenting in, in our annexes as well. And if there's one takeaway I wanted you to kind of be aware of about Z490.1 before you go out and buy it and before you read the safety training guide I mentioned. It's this idea called ADDI, which we're talking about on screen here. And, and ADDI is a standard method for developing training of any sort, whether it's you know online or not online, whether it's safety training or, or it's operational or, or whatever it is. And the uh, again, although I didn't help write the 2016 version of uh, Z490.1, it very clearly is based on this model. So um, I just want to introduce you to this. So this is a great or helpful model for you to use when you're developing training on your own, and it'll help you make sense of that uh, Z490.1 standard as well. So uh, ADDI is kind of a systematic, sequential process for creating training. The first is analyzing uh, or analysis, and you're supposed to uh, perform an analysis of the problem you're trying to solve, the root cause of those problems, uh, to determine if even you know training is an appropriate intervention, uh, an analysis of your workers to determine how you can, if you are going to go ahead with training, how you can best deliver training to uh, help their learning needs and so on. Next, design. You actually design your training. So notice that means you don't just sit down in front of a regulation and start pounding out a PowerPoint, but it's kind of almost like the blueprinting uh, of your training. And one of the key things here is writing a learning objective. Uh, again, if, you, if you're not sure what learning objectives are, feel free to uh, write me. It's what you want the learners to be able to do when training is over. Uh, I can make available to you a uh, brand new 30-page guide on, on writing learning objectives. Then you develop your training, and that includes not just developing your training, but possibly uh, worker um, or learner workbooks, if you will, and, and maybe instructor guides and that kind of thing. You implement it, and that might include a beta test. That would be kind of best practice. And then you evaluate it over time, to, if, uh, usually at four different levels uh, or more. And then you uh, use that information to figure out if it's working, if you need to revise it, and so on. So um, go ahead and buy yourself a copy of Z490.1, but also become a bit familiar with this ADDI model. If you're in safety and you're responsible for safety training and this is all brand new to you, this is a good starting point. There are other models um, in learning other than ADDI. There's AMA, there's SAM, there's Agile, there's design thinking. But 
but this is the foundational 100 level one. Oh, David's telling me I need to go to. Uh, I need to go away from talking on uh, speakerphone, and I need to speak into my phone directly. David, let me. Thanks for the heads up. I see that in text. Let me know if uh, this is better, and I'll continue on here. Okay, so if that's Z490.1, the standard for all EHS training, uh, there's also Z490.2, the recently completed standard for online EHS training. And it looks like this came out uh, this past year. And, um, you know, again, here's the, the basic uh, flow of the or structure of that uh, standard. And, and it's basically the exact same structure as Z490.1. So this standard does not in any way replace Z490.1. What it does is supplement, and it deals with how to uh, use online training within your EHS training. All right, and David, tell me the audio is better. Great. Um, so two main things I want you to know about Z490.2. Again, first of all, I encourage you to go buy it. Uh, but second of all, when we talked about it, when we created that standard, we wanted people to use online training for a good reason when they chose to do so. And I'm going to try to help you with that. And then the second thing we tried to steer people toward was using lens. And this means um, for training uh, intervention, you know, mixing and matching your training delivery methods. So we're going to talk about all these kind of things throughout much of the rest of this presentation. If you do want to learn more about either of those two uh, national standards for uh, safety training, Z490.1 and Z490.2, you can go to the ASSP's safety podcast channel. Um, I did two 30-minute uh, discussions about each of them. Uh, you can you search my name there. You see, see them represented here on screen. All right, with that said, let's move into delivering effective safety training. The first thing uh, to know about me and what I recommend you do is to use evidence. I'm a big fan of evidence-based training practices, not just, a, you know, delivering training or developing training because you the methods that you're using you think are helpful, but actually consulting research, there's a large field of learning researchers who, you know, will do studies and meta-studies and crunch data and, and tell you what, what where we have evidence that doing this during training is effective and doing this during training is not effective. So I'm a big fan of it. I encourage you guys to check it out. Um, I'm happy to help point you in the right some some good directions today. You know, and there's a lot of evidence-based fields. Um, I'm sure I don't have to introduce you to the idea of evidence-based medicine, for example. And I imagine we'd all, if we were ill, we'd go to a doctor who practices evidence-based medicine instead of going to somebody who, uh, you know, is going off uh, best guesses or superstitions or hunches or everything. And I would think that that's what we want to do in our own profession as well. We want to use the best methods based on evidence. And I would even suggest that's a professional responsibility. So let me go back, sorry. Um, one of the things to know, let me make sure I'm on the right screen here. I'm having a little trouble going with handheld. Yeah, all right. Apologies, everybody. One of the things to know from this field of evidence-based training research is, is that the delivery method you use, you use for training, whether it's classroom training, whether it's online training, whether it's virtual reality, augmented reality, whatever it is, um, the, the delivery method itself does not affect how effective or ineffective the training itself was. What, what affects the uh, success of the method 
is the other training, I'm sorry, is the instructional method you use, not the delivery method you use. So there's a classic book by learning researcher Doc, Dr. Ruth Colvin-Clark. I'm uh, showing some quotes here from that book. I recommend you check this uh, book out. Uh, she showed no major differences in learning from classroom lessons compared to electronic distance lessons learned. And then in the final paragraph, you will find more fertile ground by using a blend of media that allows you to space out learning events, provide post-training performance support, and foster synchronous and asynchronous forms of collaboration. So two takeaways there, uh, important ones. And then, and then in the middle as well, the psychologically active ingredients of your lesson are what cause people to learn, regardless of what media you're using. And that, that's the instructional method she's talking about. And I'm going to introduce you to a few of those very briefly here in a second. Now, what, was we talk, what are we talking about when we talk about instructional methods and, and, and delivery methods? Uh, delivery methods are things like uh, classroom-based instructor-led training, even text messages now in the online world, e-learning courses, you know, maybe a written book, virtual reality, and so on. So you can use all of these delivery methods, but none of them are going to guarantee uh, the success of your training. What's going to guarantee the success of your training are these instructional methods. And so you can think of this as an analogy here. Uh, this is a chocolate chip cookie on screen, and, and at least you're going to learn how I like chocolate chip cookies, which is I'm really all about the chocolate chips. And, and so in my, my analogy here, the chocolate chips are the instructional method. This is the stuff with the, uh, that makes your training effective or ineffective. And, and the dough, the rest of the cookie, that's your delivery method. That's whether or not this is classroom training or classroom-based training and so on. So use whatever delivery method it, it works for you that allows you to get the instructional methods in, that the psychologically active uh, chocolate chips, if you will, that actually create, make training more or less effective. So that's your secret, is selecting a delivery method that allows you to get the desired instructional methods in and makes training more effective. Um, okay, so we're going to do, uh, we're going to start talking about some of these uh, learning uh, methods, if you will. And the first one I want to talk about is learning styles. So let me go to another poll here. Who believes, uh, most of you have probably heard of this idea of learning styles, and that's that, uh, you know, people are kinesthetic learners or visual learners or auditory learners. Uh, here's a poll here. Who, who has heard of this and believes that creating training that matches the learning styles of learners will lead to better learning outcomes? Go ahead and, and fill in the poll here. I'll give you about 30 seconds. Um, David, I hear you. Uh, you're hearing beeps in the background. I'll, I'll shut that stuff off. All right. Go ahead, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, again, um, there's this idea of learning styles, the idea that uh, Jeff, for example, might be a, a visual learner or an auditory learner or a kinesthetic learner, meaning I learn by doing things by hand. And, and there's an idea that um, the training designer should create training to match the learning styles of the learners. Who believes uh, this is true and who believes it's not? I'm going to advance to see the results. All right. 94.1% of us believe that this is true, that if you design training uh, to match the learning styles of your learner, 
you'll end up with better learning outcomes. And, and I'm not super surprised by this. However, there's absolutely no evidence from the learning research to suggest that this is true. Um, for today, I hope you'll just believe me. But again, if you want some actual uh, research on this, feel free to email me. I'll send you out the results. So there are a large number of problems with this learning styles idea. The first is that you could actually correctly um, identify a person's learning style. And you know, most of this stuff is coming from companies with a financial state. So um, I would encourage you to be skeptical about this idea. Feel free to ping me uh, with my email address and I'll send you the research. Um, but we'll focus on some stuff that, that actually has evidence behind it that's, that's useful. Um, I do want <laughs> this uh, learning styles idea. Uh, you know, if you, if you think this is true, um, don't, and, and I'm telling you it's not true, don't feel bad. I thought it was true. Most people think it's true. Um, I'll send you some research. You can, you know, check it out yourself and, and come to your own conclusions based on that research. But, you know, don't feel bad because it's super common. Now, people in my field, the learning researchers, this is like kind of the big bugaboo. It's the most common what we call learning myth. And so there's a lot of people constantly trying to let people know this is not true. Here's a funny little uh, cartoon about that issue from a guy named Aaron Pradhan. Uh, feel free to check this out when you get the PowerPoint. It's kind of funny. All right. So I do want to talk about how people learn. And I want to ground it in this idea of uh, the cognitive psychology model of how we process information. Uh, we're representing it here in four steps from left to right. Uh, the first step is we uh, are constantly being bombarded by external stimuli. And uh, we have something called our sensory memory, which filters most of that out and, and allows some of that to enter you know, our consciousness. That's a completely automatic uh, process. It's happening all the time. And one of our first jobs as a trainer is to get past that sensory memory bottleneck. Then you have your working memory. This is the stuff you know you're thinking about at the moment. And you can only think about four things uh, at any one time. You start adding too much and other things drop out. So this is another big thing, is not overloading working memory. Once you have a new information in working memory, at the same time, your brain activates information that you already have stored in long-term memory. And it begins using that information in long-term memory to make sense of the information in working memory. And it literally begins a long-term process of creating neural connections, uh, tying that new information in working memory to the existing information in long-term memory. And, and it stores these in little connections of information in your brain called schemas. You can think of as little packets of related information. And so constantly you're evaluating, you're kind of revising these schemas over time and you're, make, you're making new neural connections. And, and when you take new information and connect it uh, to long-term memory in a schema, that's a weak uh, connection and, and it'll degrade over time. But if you continue to strengthen that connection, that's when it becomes more useful over time. And so you have that information in long-term memory, that's great, but, and maybe you'll transfer that on a job and maybe you won't. And again, you're more likely to transfer that if the connection is strong, if you have more neural connections. So that's the basic process to keep in mind that what you're going for in training, because what your real goal is, of course, is transfer to the job. All right, so very quickly, um, I'm gonna give you a kind of an overview of some of these uh, effective safety methods or really effective training methods, I'm sorry. Um, I encourage you uh, I'll, uh, also 
give you a link to a webinar where I talked about these for 45 minutes. I encourage you to check these out more. But uh, the first one is this idea of awakening prior knowledge. I'm sorry. Uh, before training starts, ask people what they know about the topic. That's going to activate that information in long-term memory and make it easier to create uh, those neural connections we were just talking about. Second, chunking. Break your information down into small little bits and chunk and sequence it. That helps with the uh, working memory issue we talked about. Storytelling. People, uh, you know, you can look at the COVID-19 issue right now. People aren't convinced as much by data as they are by stories. We're hardwired to listen to stories. We're hardwired to remember them. We're hardwired to change our behavior as a result of them. So use stories during training. Keep your training short. Shorter is better. There's no magic time, but the shorter you can keep it, the better. I use visuals in addition to talking. We have two processing channels for our brain. This is called the dual coding uh, theory, and, and they uh, accelerate one another if you're using them in combination. So if you can use a visual in addition to words, you're getting a learning accelerator. Uh, provide demonstrations of skills and then allow people to practice those skills in a realistic job-based manner and then give feedback based on, on that. So that's a, that's a super important learning accelerator, demonstration, practice, and feedback, corrective feedback, uh, especially so if you want to kind of speed up somebody from novice to, to kind of medium competence and then again from medium competence to expert, that cycle right there is where you want to stay. Space practice. If you're doing one-and-done training, um, you're not making those repeated neural connections we're talking about. So you want to uh, do what's called space practice or space learning. Keep bringing that stuff back over time in, in additional training sessions. And, and in particular, you want to deliver that subsequent training, those later trainings, just long enough ago that the person started to forget it. And, and so when they've forgotten it and grinding mentally to recall that information ultimately strengthens the neural connections we were talking about. And as part of that, you want people to retrieve information. So for example, a, a multiple choice question, um, you know, maybe a week after the initial training that simply asks you to remember or recognize, that's good, but it's not as good as a question that asks me to apply. So I actually have to retrieve it myself and apply it. Now, on screen here, and again, you'll get this PowerPoint, are you know, a list of at least some of the learning researchers who I've taken this information from. I encourage you to check out their websites, check out their blogs, buy their books, and, and so on. And you know, down at the end, I've also mentioned the Convergence Training blog offers a lot of information on this as well. I did mention we have uh, you know, other webinars, recorded webinars on this kind of stuff. So again, we've created some links for you. You can take a deeper dive on that. And then uh, I did mention as well the importance of blended learning. We've kind of talked about delivery methods already. So blended learning, again, is this idea of delivering training in multiple different uh, delivery methods, like classroom training and online. Traditionally, that's how people have talked about it. Um, I'll show you in a second. There's research showing this makes learning more effective. In the COVID-19 era, sorry, I would encourage you to think about blending not just in the traditional manner, classroom plus online, but how can you blend different online or digital methods to create an uh, effective learning experience? So for example, 
online plus email plus text plus virtual reality, for example, or something like that. Um, but some you know, studies showing you that blending does, in fact, lead to better uh, training outcomes. First, a Department of Education meta-study um, at the end here in blue. Uh, learning outcomes uh, were larger in those studies, contrasting conditions that blended elements of online and face-to-face -face instruction with conditions taught entirely face-to-face. -face. So point here is blended is better. Two additional meta-studies by learning researchers, Dr. Ruth Coleman-Clark and Dr. Will Talheimer, again, both saying the same thing. And these are not just one studies, but studies of studies. So there's a lot of evidence about the benefit of blended learning. And, and again, I have a uh, guide of blended learning that I'll give you a link to, um, and it's included in the resources as well. It gives you multiple kind of really good ideas about how to think and create your blends. But one thing I point out in particular is when you're creating training, don't think about just blending your training, but think about blending your training plus post-training performance support. Can I give the, my workers a job aid? Can I give them a checklist? Can I give them access to a mobile device where they can see a manual or a video? That's you know just as important as training is how you help people out in the field after training. And again, here's a, a link to that guide I told you about. You'll get this. Uh, it's in a resources and you'll get this PowerPoint as well. All right. Um, Brian, Barry, before we go any further, I just want to see if there's any questions uh, that we can address on some of these foundational issues. No questions as of yet, Jeff. All right. Let's charge ahead and talk about uh, terms and concepts related to online safety training. Um, what is online safety training? Traditionally, what it's, when we use this phrase, we're talking about two things. Uh, re actually represented on the right, e-learning courses. This is the content, you know, a course on Lockout, Tagout, a course on Hascom, a course on GA, you know, whatever it's going to be. And then a learning management system, which is a web-based piece of software that you can use to assign this training and deliver it and, and give completion records and, and run reports to see who's done and not done. So traditionally, that's kind of been what this has been all about. Now, in those courses, uh, you know, life has changed over time, and we've all seen this during the pandemic. A lot of us are spending maybe too much time watching streaming videos on places like Netflix. So, you know, streaming video came in in the last 10, 20 years, whatever it's been, and, and you know, we all started watching Netflix. But the learning world notices too, and so we decided, hey, we can take these e-learning courses, and yes, we can continue to, to deliver them in an LMS, and that has a lot of nice, you know, benefits and advantages. But for people who want it, we can also make those courses available, you know, just in a streaming format by going to a website. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with either of these two models, and you can select the one that's best for your company. But no, they both exist. Now, if you go with that the kind of traditional model, an e-learning course inside an LMS, um, I want to talk about that LMS a little bit, or learning management system. Again, this is an online software system. Um, it allows you to import your own training, like maybe your own PowerPoint or PDF or a video. It lets you create your own training. Usually there will be online tools inside the LMS, you know, build an online quiz, build a checklist, and so on. It lets you assign that training to different parts of your workforce. It delivers some of that stuff online. As I said, you can uh, track completion. You can run reports. It stores your records. 
But it also manages your offline training, so you can assign a class and, and give credit for completing an instructor-led class. It allows you to create different training paths for workers and so on. So there's some benefits to these for sure. And Jeff, that's um, and, and a good that's kind of the, uh, stopping point. Yeah, sorry, okay. Jeff, that's a good stopping point here. When we're talking about LMSs, obviously there are a number of them out there. Uh, Catherine from our audience has a question. Are, are there any good free LMS resources out there that, that you'd recommend using? Um, are we talking about a free LMS, or are we talking about free resources to help you find a good LMS, if we could ask Catherine? It's a good question. Sure, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. She's she just how, her question just is: Is there a good free LMS resource uh, that you would recommend using, or a good well, source? Let me, uh, well, let me try to answer both questions. Um, okay. Is there a good free free LMS? I believe Moodle M O O D L E is free. I recommend you check that out. That's open source. Again, open source software has pros and cons, but Moodle is is an example of a free LMS. 99% confidence free. Um, in terms of resources, how can I, you know, learn more about learning management systems? There are any number of them, but one that comes to my mind right, right, right off the top of my head that comes to mind is a website called Talented Learning that's run by a guy named John Lay, L-E-H, Talented Learning, which is probably talentedlearning.com, but don't hold me to that. And John Lay has probably seen more learning man. There are like hundreds of these on the, on the market. I'm guessing five to 700. John Lay has probably seen more of them than any other human alive. And he creates a kind of a, uh, his site gives you information about as many of these learning management systems as he can, as he can uh, tell you about. And that's all free as well. So hopefully that helps. Okay. Um, and sure, go great. Back yeah, to and Jeff, that question later. Yeah. Catherine did follow up. She said, I'm trying to create my own LMS system similar to LinkedIn Learning. Ah, Catherine, shoot me an email about that. That might be way over my, my head, but uh, I'll try to help you uh, after this webinar if I can. Um, okay, so hopefully that helps. Um, things we're not discussing today, but that we should all be aware of, um, you know, there's um, mobile devices, virtual reality, augmented reality, chat box. So, you know, Digital training is changing. I'm going to give you some. We got looks like we got about 10 minutes until the Q&A starts here. I'm going to give you some tips now for conducting your search, and then if we have a little extra time, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, live online learning and virtual classes as a result of uh, COVID pandemic. So let's get into conducting your search. First tip I'd have for you is don't do this alone. You know, if you're going to get better results, you're going to find a better LMS, you're going to find better online safety training if you do it with a team at work. So here on the left, I'm recommending some of the people you should involve. And number one I would recommend are the rank and file employees who are going to be using this online safety training at work. Um, you know, first of all, they're, you know, they're the people who you're trying to train. And so you might as well get them involved now and they will help you find a uh, LMS and online safety training and all this that's you know, better suited for their needs. And so that should be first and foremost. It's also true, however, that if you include them in the selection process, you're more likely to get buy-in during implementation and later use. You know, what's true for online safety training is what's true for many change man management efforts at work and what's true for many new software systems at work. You can buy it. But that doesn't mean people are going to use it. 
that doesn't mean this isn't going to die on the vine if you don't get buy-in and, and use throughout your organization. And so including employees early is really going to help uh, avoid that kind of bad scenario at the end. Um, obviously, you know, what is safe, online safety training? But it's applied operations, right? So I would get your production or operations managers involved. I'd get people from quality and, and environmental uh, involved as well. You know, I'd get L&D involved if you have an L&D staff, and obviously that rolls up oftentimes into HR. So that's another group of people to, to get involved. IT, obviously, you're going to want them involved, although with the cloud-based systems now, that's less important. Still important, though. And corporate, obviously. And you're going to want corporate support for all these kind of, you know, in any big initiative you have. But this will help and get them publicly speaking about the uh, importance of your new, new initiative for online safety training. That will help as well. All right, so those e-learning courses. Uh, let me give you some selection criteria for this. Again, uh, one of the resources we gave you is an online safety training buyer's guide checklist. You can download it directly from here. That's 90 pages. I'm going to summarize this stuff in three screens. Um, first of all, do you want to go streaming or with e-learning courses? Both could work. If you go with e-learning courses, know that they come in different formats in the exact same way that like a digital photo comes in different formats as well, like JPEG, bitmap, or uh, ping. In e-learning, there's SCORM, AICC, and XAPI. SCORM is the industry standard. You definitely want courses. Well, you want often you'll want courses in SCORM and an LMS that works with SCORM. Um, AICC is an older system, and it's kind of going on the wayside. You might still see it out there. You might find some courses in it, but it's going away. And XAPI is the new kid on the block. It stands for Experience API. Um, it has some cool features. Uh, it doesn't have the, the uh, widespread use that SCORM does. So I would definitely focus on SCORM and keep your eyes open for XAPI, understand what AICC is. Obviously, with those courses, look for the topics covered. Are they relevant for your workforce? Uh, are those topics integrated to the job task? So are, are they teaching skills and not knowledge? Obviously, do they meet regulatory compliance requirements that you have to satisfy at work? Uh, what are the instructional design and adult learning principles baked into the creation of those courses, for example? And again, I know that you may, I gave you some of them. I gave 10 or 15 good evidence-based training practices. I know a lot of you may not be experts in instructional design. Feel free to write me. I can give you more resources. Uh, we did mention shorter is better. We mentioned visuals. Uh, how are they written? Are they written in a clear, uh, not confusing, conversational manner? Uh, do they have multi-language support? I bet a lot of you have multi-language workforces. Uh, do they have practice opportunities and assessments at the end? Uh, how do you get new and updated courses? How does that happen? How often does it happen? Does it cost money? And, and how does this on, how do these online safety training courses fit within your organization's overall learning strategy? So some tips to keep in mind there. If you go with the e-learning course and an LMS option, a learning management system option, some things to think about. Do I want this installed on my network or cloud-based? You can get both. Installed on the network used to be the standard. Cloud-based is now the standard. There are pros and cons to both. Um, is there an easy user interface? I learned from that guy, John Lay, and also from uh, Brandon Hall. 
that when people leave one LMS for another, there are three primary reasons. And, and, and the first is it's a difficult e user interface. So go for easy user, user interface. This is the single most important thing about an LMS. Is it easy for learners or workers? And is it easy for administrators? Nobody wants to have to you know, learn some complicated new system. So easier, is, this is so key. But the second, uh, second thing is reporting. What kind of reporting can I get out of my LMS? And then the third thing, and this might catch you off guard, does my LMS integrate with other workplace software systems, your HRIS, your CRM, your ERP, and so on? And, and that's very important, although it may not be, seem as obvious uh, initially. So some other things to keep, keep in mind, my administrators, can they have different security roles so they have different powers and privileges within the system? Uh, what kind of user training do I get, both for admins and employees from the company providing this? What kind of self-guided help is baked right into the system? And then no matter how great your training was, no matter how great that self-guided help is, you're going to want customer service. Uh, this is critical as well. So what kind of customer service is available, and what does that really mean? Um, are you getting thrown into a queue and, and talking to a chatbot? Are you talking to a person on a phone? Are you doing a, a web-based screen share? And finally, again, what kind of updates do you get? When do you get them? Uh, how much does it cost? And so on. Now, uh, in a safety-specific world, a couple things to keep in mind. Again, can you import your own training materials? You've all got your own PowerPoints and so on. Can you create your own activities straight inside the LMS, including things like procedures and checklists? Uh, how does the assignment engine handle things like due dates, expirations for cyclical training, and so on? Uh, who's notified at key training events? And then lastly, does it come with other safety management software systems kind of integrated into it, like an incident management system, for, for example? And then lastly, some tips for working with these providers. You know, you're going to be working with these people for a long time, hopefully. So uh, are they friendly? Are they responsive? Are they helpful? Are they knowledgeable? Do they have a wide range of expertise in-house? Do they have a proven track record, both in safety training and in your own industry? You know, I don't need to tell you that cost is important. Can you get referrals from third-party organizations, places like Capterra, Talented LMS, for example, and so on? Can you talk with their existing customers and get referrals from those people? And then just generally, how accessible are, are, are these providers to you? Again, I mentioned this, that we have a 90-page buyer's guide checklist for you. You can download that right from the, uh, the webinar platform here. If you get the PowerPoint, I've got a link for you here. And, that, and then lastly, uh, I just want to leave you with a list of suggested resources, give you some Super quick tips on virtual classrooms and open it up for questions. Uh, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this presentation the two ASSP standards. I do encourage you to check those out. I've also mentioned we have multiple guides up here in the webinar program for you. You can download those are helpful resources as well. OSHA has a surprising number of helpful resources about how to create better safety training, not just how to comply, but how to actually make it better. So I would encourage you to check OSHA. There are a lot of evidence-based learning professionals. I spend much of my day reading their stuff and sharing their stuff on social media. So um, search these people out. Follow me on social media, in particular LinkedIn, and then follow who I follow. But also in this PowerPoint, I gave you 10 or 20 names. Check those people out. 
again, I write something called the Convergence Training Blog. I leave webinars there, and we create all these guides we're talking about. Um, feel free to follow us there. Hopefully, you'll find some useful information. So in the final, following, uh, final two minutes here before we go to Q&A, I just want to address the fact that as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, we started doing uh, a lot of kind of live online learning. That's using a webinar-based tool or a webinar-like platform to deliver training. And, and for a lot of us, this is a new skill. And it's, for example, it was new, not something I'm, I was good at, and it's still not something I'm really good at. But I realize it's something we all have to learn and get better at. Um, and, and so I'm, I want to make a distinction between a couple things. First of all, virtual classrooms are like instructor-led classroom training in that you need to design your training so that it's effective. However, it's not a one-to-one -one carryover. You can't, even if you have a great instructor-led training program, you can't just pop that into a web, webinar-based tool and have it be as good. So remember that. It's not the same thing. Second thing I want to keep in mind, tell you is a webinar, like what we're doing right now, is different than a virtual classroom. For your safety training, you want to do a virtual classroom. And so uh, I just want to share verbally a couple uh, resources that I found very helpful. I've been studying how to create a better virtual classroom for live online learning. And the guru seems to be a woman named Cindy Huggett, C-I-N-D-Y-H-U-G-G-E-T-T. You can find all these great experts, and, and they'll tell you all sorts of great stuff. And then ultimately, they'll say, check out Cindy Huggett. I have two books by her. The first one is called Virtual Training Tools and Templates, and the second is called Virtual Training Basics. Um, second is from the uh, Association of Talent Development uh, Training Basics series. So they're the kind of ATD is a big learning and development organization. I recommend you all, if you're going down this route of doing live online learning for safety training, check out these books by Cindy Huggett. And, and again, if you go to the Convergence Training blog, we've been writing about her as well. Um, and with that, Barry, I'm going to open up for uh, Q&A. Sounds great, Jeff. Jeff, great job today. We appreciate you sharing all your knowledge and resources with us. We, at Safety and Health, we especially appreciate the mention of storytelling. Uh, there was a September uh, story in our Safety and Health magazine about storytelling, so folks can check that out online. Uh, remember, folks, if you do have a question today, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Uh, don't forget that over in the Resources section of your screen, our sponsor has made the slides available from today's presentation, along with several other helpful resources, including that 63-page uh, safety training guide that Jeff mentioned that sounds very helpful. Uh, I also want to remind everyone of our evaluation survey, which should be appearing on your screen momentarily. Your feedback is really important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. If you don't see the survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker, and you may also access the evaluation survey uh, by clicking the survey button, which is on the lower right portion of your screen. So Jeff, let's go ahead and get to some questions here. Um, I wanted to start with, um, obviously with COVID-19, we're all not, a lot of us are not together in the workplace, and Orlando is asking, how do we handle blended training in times like these when we're not together, and how do we do that? Yeah, uh, thanks to Orlando for that question. I think that's really important. So I kind of touched on this a little bit, but traditionally we thought about blended as a mix of online training and classroom. And, and, and 
lot of employers can still do that, although you need to, uh, you know, maintain some kind of safety protocols for how you're keeping people socially distanced and, and wearing masks and everything at work. However, in some cases, you can't, you, 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 there's no um, instructor-led classroom, we're together in the same room option anymore. And so in that case, you're starting to think about blended learning as digital blends. And and I've got a nice model, Orlando, if you can shoot me off an email. like What, what I would encourage you to do is uh, go to that blended learning uh, training guide I gave you, and, and there's like an entire chapter, for example, on when to use asynchronous learning, meaning people are self-guided and learning on their own, and when to use synchronous learning. And, 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 and then there's other reasons, other models for creating your blends. But I want to talk about asynchronous and synchronous for a second. Deliver asynchronous training when people need time to engage with the content, to practice safely on their own, and to, and to acquire deep learning on a skill. And then come together and do something synchronous like we're doing now when, when the social interaction is helpful, when, when it's helpful to get feedback from a learner, when it's helpful to get together in a breakout room with your, uh, your peers and work on a case study, for example. Um, but... Orlando, if you shoot me off an email, jeff.dalto at vectorsolutions.com, I'll send you that, that blended learning guide, which is I think is useful, but also a model from a guy, Aaron Pradhan, A-R-U-N-P-R-A-D-H-A-N, about digital blends and how you can use uh, start using things like uh, email and, and text messages and, and virtual reality and uh, online e-learning courses to create a digital blend, which I think is a good you know, model in this COVID-19 era. I hope, I hope that helps, Orlando. Great. Thanks, Jeff. And we have a quick one here for you. Vicki asks if you can, again, spell Cindy Huggett's last name for everyone. She's writing that down right now. Yeah, you bet. And if, if somebody with NSE can type this into the chat box for everybody, that would be great, too. But again, her name is Cindy Huggett, H-U-G-G-E-T-T. Um, the two books are called Virtual Training Tools and Templates. An Action Guide to Live Online Learning, and Virtual Training Basics. One's blue, one's green. Uh, and I've been writing, a, uh, kind of linking to it at the Versus Training blog as well. Um, they're great books, though. She seems to be the acknowledged guru. I have learned a ton just in the last, mm, I don't know, seven months from her. I continue to learn more. And, and we have some uh, similar web, uh, recorded discussions at the Versus Training blog with some other experts, uh, Shannon Tipton, Joe Cook to help people gear up in these skills as well. Great. Thank you for that, Jeff. Uh, Enrique has an interesting question. He, he'd like to know your thoughts on emerging VR training. And obviously, there's a cost and there are some adoption hurdles. And how do those match up against the results and the effectiveness of that mode of training? Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks, Enrique. I appreciate that. I see you at the top of the list here. Um, uh, so, you know, I guess I'd go back to what I said at, uh, near the beginning of the webinar, is that the delivery method itself doesn't matter. It doesn't give you training effectiveness. So virtual reality is a training delivery method. What, virtual what does matter is the instructional method. Do I get to see a demonstration? Do I get to practice? Will I see consequences of my action? Do I get feedback? And that, obviously, is where virtual reality can be really effective, right? Because you can, you know, it's a simulation when it's done well. So if your virtual reality is well-designed and you're giving me, as a worker, the opportunity to practice the skills I need to apply on the job in a safe, simulated environment, 
um, those active instructional methods, practice, seeing consequences, getting feedback, that's great. So it just needs to be relevant to what I need to do at work. In terms of cost, they are often, some, at least have been, a little prohibitively expensive. That is dropping. Um, so I think as we keep our eyes on that, that's going to become increasingly common. Um, and it's effective. Uh, but again, only, not so much because it's virtual reality, but because it allows me to get realistic job-like practice and, and to, you know, learn from the consequences of my action and have somebody, you know, give me feedback on how I did and, and, and it lets me make mistakes in a safe context. So, Enrique, I hope that helped. Great. Thank you, Jeff. And, and Robert has a question about uh, what would you recommend for testing during live webinars? And he specifically asks about protecting the test and monitoring the process uh, during a live webinar. Yeah. Uh, Robert Braun, thanks for the question. Um, you know, I am not an expert on proctoring of live online tests. And, and, and frankly, I'm not really an expert on, you know, testing for live online learning. I know there are ways to uh, proctor live online learning, including, you know, watching people and making sure that's the real person uh, taking the test. That, that's unfortunately not my specialty, so I apologize for that. Robert, if you shoot me an email, I'll search down some information about proctoring. In terms of just the capability of delivering a test, you know, uh, I work for a company that makes a learning management system. You can make an online test and assign it. So you could assign a live online webinar or some kind of live online learning experience, have people do that, and then just use your learning management system to assign a test to that person. So that part's easy. The proctoring thing is not something I'm an expert in, and um, please send me an email, and I'll, I'll see if I can get you more information on that. Thank you for that, Jeff. Uh, Justin asks, um, are there any free resources to help create a training module? Yeah, so, um, and his, his question goes on. I, see, I can see that question. OSHA does, requires yeah, site-specific training. Sorry about that. Yeah, he says OSHA requires no, site-specific training. So general safety training modules may not suffice, leaving companies having to create their own. So I want to answer that question and wrap in. Somebody I saw said basically, hey, what does OSHA have to say about online safety training? So I want to take those in yeah. the opposite order. There are okay. two letters of interpretation uh, from OSHA about the use of online safety training. Both say it's okay to use online safety training, and both say in addition, you need to offer an opportunity for the learner. I, and I can't exactly quote this. It's been a while since I've seen these. Um, but one is uh, some kind of interaction and feedback with a, with a real person, an instructor. And second is the ability to do hands-on uh, training. So you, the, the takeaway is you really can't just use online safety training alone if it doesn't have the capability of those two things, uh, interaction with an instructor and some kind of hands-on training. Again, if you guys email me, um, jeff.dotsolvecrosolutions.com, I can link you to the two OSHA letters of interpretation, and you can get the exact language. Now, to go back to the question about how to build a training module, I think by training module, where it works, you know, you can make just a PowerPoint and deliver it through a learning management system online. But I think that's doable and easy. And yes, you want to do it so you talk about site-specific hazards and site-specific controls. And in your uh, workplace safety uh, practices at your work, and that's something generic in general. 
but but I think what we're asking about is creating your own e-learning course. And there is a whole group of products. My company doesn't not make these. They're called e-learning authoring tools, and they can let you make your own e-learning course. And that you know, it takes a lifetime to become excellent at them. But but to get into that beginner's level of confidence, they're really not that hard. And a lot of them are designed so you can put in your PowerPoint, uh, use uh, pre-formatted quizzes, use some pre-formatted activity, and build a pre-formatted test. And you're just putting in the content. So those are called e-learning authoring tools. Some of the industry leaders, and again, I, I don't. They're all good. I don't care which one you make. They all have pros or use. They all have pros and cons. But Articulate makes a series of them. I think the most recent one is called Rise or 360. Adobe makes Captivate. Camtasia has one. iSpring has one. There's a lot of others. Um, but that that's a way to learn to make your own e-learning authoring uh, e-learning course with an e-learning authoring tool. I will call out in particular Articulate has this great thing at their website. They have a user community, and I think they have weekly challenges where they say, we're going to build an e-learning uh, course on this topic. And then people from all over the world participate in it, and they share their, what, they're, what they've done. And it's a great way to learn along with others. So hopefully that helps. Great. Thanks, Jeff. And, and we talked, obviously, a little bit about OSHA and how they feel about online training. And Thomas had a question about MSHA. Um, and he's wondering, does MSHA follow the ANSI guidelines for online training? Yeah, I see that as well. Also a good question. Uh, Thomas, um, ultimately I'm going to say refer to go ask MSHA, but you're in luck. Um, I just spoke last week at MSHA's TRAM online uh, virtual conference, which is normally held out in Beckley, West Virginia, but it was online. As a result, I was speaking with uh, some of the people at OSHA, uh, MSHA's um, educational field office. Um, and I informed them about the, uh, at least one of them, uh, and he's a high up, about the uh, ANSI standards. So to my knowledge, MSHA wasn't even aware of the ANSI standards until a week or two ago. Do they follow them? N no. And they certainly don't haven't incorporated them into the Part 46 or Part 48 re regulations. To my, you know, certainly have not. Um, they had interest when they learned about it. I sent them links and so on. Um, but I do want to give, so, so the answer is no. And so your MSHA training, if you're giving MSHA safety training, it doesn't have to comply with the ANSI ASSP standards in order to satisfy MSHA. But I do want to remind, if you're, if you're delivering MSHA-based safety training, you're required to take a, create a training plan and give it to your MSHA district manager, and they have to sign off on it. And I'm sure you know that. And so if you're planning on using online safety training, my, my takeaway for you here is um, make sure to get the okay from your MSHA district manager. Um, other than that, you know, they're not going to be upset if you use good methods from those programs, obviously, but, but it's not a requirement from them. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, we've got time for one more here, a quick one here. Um, Eric is asking, how critical is it that job descriptions are integrated into an LMS? Uh, yeah, so I saw that question. I've been kind of running it through um, my back burner here. Um, Eric, I'm going to end by asking you to email me as well. But if you're talking about the job, like let's say I've got forklift operators, and you're talking about a job description, like the job description managed, you know, that's created by HR, um, and you're saying, like, do I need to record that somewhere in the LMS? I would say generally no, because 
I'm assuming my training manager or my safety manager knows the job descriptions of people in that job role, knows what they do, and what's important is, you know, assigning the right training to the right individuals or the right people in the right job roles or maybe people in the department and so on. If having that HR-like job description helps me make an assignment, sure, that's great. Now, if that's not your question, but if your real question is, if I misunderstood your question, and what you're really asking is, is it helpful to have people grouped inside an LMS by job role so that then I can assign training to a job role, like forklift operators as opposed to delivery truck drivers, for example? That's critical, I would say. And, and I believe most LMSs will allow you to do that. So I hope that answered the question. Feel free to email me if I'm off base, and uh, we'll get more information to you. Great. Well, Jeff, we truly appreciate you sharing all your knowledge with us today and your expertise. Thank you, everyone. Unfortunately, we have run out of time today. I'm sorry we did not get to everyone's questions, but as we mentioned, all of today's answered and unanswered questions will be forwarded along to Jeff. Uh, once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey to share your input today. And on behalf of everyone here at the National Safety Council, we hope you're all staying safe and healthy during these challenging times. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank our outstanding presenter, Jeff Dalto, everyone from our sponsor, Vector Solutions Brand Convergence Training, and all of you who listened in today. Have a safe day, everyone. Hey, thanks a lot, everybody.